Welcome to this week's episode of Allen Stocks Podcast, where you learn about stocks, investment strategy, and more. And now, here is your host, Connor Allen. Hello and welcome to Allen Stocks Podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in again this week. This week, I'll help you become a better investor, a smarter investor, and at the very least, an investor. Today, I'm especially excited as I have my first ever guest on, Aaron Maybon. Aaron is a financial advisor at True North Investments located in LaGrange, Georgia. He is an entrepreneur and he is also a damn good boss. Thank you, Aaron, for uh, coming in today. Thanks for inviting me, Con. I appreciate it. So this week, it's been quite the crazy week in the stock market. A lot of people expected the market to do a lot better this week as the vaccine has started to become distributed nationwide. Pfizer recently got approved by F- the FDA last week. And we haven't quite seen the crazy gains that we were going to be or that, that were expected by a lot of different people. And I think one of the reasons for that is that the market never questioned whether there would be a vaccine or not, which is why I don't think we're seeing the crazy gains because you know no one suspected that it wouldn't be out there. But speaking of this vaccine, Aaron, do, do you think you're going to go and get the vaccine? Probably not day one, Connor. I am not in a risk category. I'm 39 years old. I'm in great health as far as I know. So that's one th- one part of it. The other is just the unproven nature of the vaccine, it being new. Obviously, there's a lot of evidence that shows it's very effective. And so I'm not against vaccines, but I'm not in a hurry to go out and grab one. I would agree with that. I'm being a bit skeptical as well. I'm much younger than you at 21 years old, so I don't think I'll be getting the vaccine. But um, I know a lot of people in my family are looking forward to that, being able to get it and the fear of getting coronavirus to subside for a little while, because um, a lot of people have been dealing with that for the past eight to 12 months. They're looking forward to, um, to getting that fear put away. So I brought Aaron on the show today to talk about one of the issues facing our country today, and that is the lack of financial literacy. I think this lack of financial literacy is pretty astounding where it is. Um, Our country's economy is basically built on debt. And more and more kids grow up believing that wealth is unachievable and debt is inevitable. Aaron, what, what are your thoughts on that? I think you nailed it right there with that comment, Connor. The idea that wealth is unattainable and debt is inevitable. I think debt is one of those things that many people believe that you will always be in debt, and that just is not true. It just, I've heard people say you you can wander into debt, but you have to have a plan to get out. And um, sometimes it's just, someone hasn't put together a plan or or considered what that might look like. Um, I, I think for many people, just living below one's means goes so far in trying to build and, and when you don't, you get into debt, and then that causes some huge problems. That's great. That's great. Speaking of living under your means, I think that's a very common theme with a lot of wealthier people that you run into, is that when they started on their journey, <clears throat> whether it was starting their company or starting to invest, uh, what I quickly realized about a lot of their stories is that they had no goals of living in a super expensive house. They had no goals of driving a Ferrari down the road, but because they lived under their means and they worked hard, 
um, they were able to achieve a lot of those things that they weren't even planning on or, you know, even had a goal for. So Aaron, um, I know you work as a financial advisor. Um, so would you tell our listeners what led you into financial services, why you decided to pick the career that you did? So when I was young, I was always interested in stocks and I don't know why. And I didn't have a lot of information or knowledge back then. The internet obviously was not uh, what it is today or really barely existed when I was a, a young person. And my parents invested in mutual funds and that type of thing, but they really didn't have a great understanding. So I really didn't get a lot from them. But as I got a little older, I, I became more interested. And by the time I got to high school, I actually met with my parents' financial advisor one time. Wanted to know a little bit about that career. And the two things that I, well, I guess three things that I really liked about what he was telling me and why I kind of chose financial services. Number one is I love educating people uh, about money and um, retirement goals, et cetera. So my mom's a teacher, and I guess I get that from her that I want to teach people. So that's one thing. Second is the time flexibility. My parents both worked for someone and many times they couldn't come to field trips and school plays and those types of things because of their work schedule. And I didn't want to, to have to do that. And then third is just the ability to, to make a great living. And so those three things, I enjoyed finances and I wanted to teach flexibility of my schedule and um, the income I could earn and to live the lifestyle I wanted to. That's awesome. So, so it sounds like uh, the way that you got into or that you first decided that you wanted to be a financial advisor was when you started to talk to your parents' financial advisor. Um, so that leads me into another question about how connections are so key in today's society to learning about, or to getting a job, one, um, to becoming financially literate. Um, is another, I think connections plays a huge part in that. Um, so could you talk for a little bit about what are some ways um, that we could make that uh, more nationwide and accessible to everybody? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's definitely a couple different ways to, to do it. Um, I think public schools or, or some type of national curriculum could absolutely do that. My wife's a teacher. My, as I mentioned a minute ago, my mom is a retired teacher. I think many times the public thinks, oh, well, the school should just fix whatever the issue is. And that is part of a way, but there's also some personal responsibility on parents as well and just society in general. So I, I, I see maybe a two-pronged approach, one being some curriculum in schools, but I think it would be very useful for many, especially financial institutions, and I'm thinking banks specifically here, most young people's first interaction with, a, with money or, or a financial institution is like a checking or savings account. I think it would be an amazing idea for, let's just say, Bank of America or um, down here in the South, Truist, to say, we're going to start a financial literacy class on Saturday mornings, free of charge, you have to, of course, enroll, et cetera, very much like Home Depot does with learning how to paint or something like that. But if they did it toward um, you know, young people, I think that would be an amazing way to further push this idea of what does it look like to be um, responsible with your money and how money works, compound interest, all these other terms that you've heard beyond just the classroom. That's great. That's great. So 
back to public school, um, an idea that I had recently, and I just wanted to run this by you and uh, ask your thoughts on it, was if you had a group of financial advisors in a district or, or finance-related field, um, people that were working in a finance-related field, um, create an organization where you have, uh, you're in charge of a district of different schools. And every week you, you would get together with the school and, and plan, plan around this. Um, but every week one advisor would go to a school and teach an hour long class or a 30 minute class on some personal finance related subject. And this way um, you're not having, because a major problem that we experience when we're trying to incorporate financial um, or personal uh, finance into high school is that a lot of these high school teachers are not qualified um, to teach that subject because they um, they themselves either are not in a good financial position or maybe they are um, but they're just not uh, they, they don't know very much about personal finance in general so i was thinking that if we brought um, someone from a finance-related field into these schools, um, you're learning from a professional, uh, one, which I think would be very beneficial. Um, I think a lot of the students could see success in the person that comes to the school, um, and it gives them an image of what could be um, if, if you were to listen to some of the um, ideas that that advisor or finance person um, was talking about. What are your thoughts on that? If you could get my end, sure, uh, from the financial service industry, that definitely could, could be a way. Um, I think I think it has to, of course, the basics start in elementary school and through high school. But I'll tell you another place that definitely, I think, needs to be more focused. And we look at the student loan crisis right now in America and how many billions and billions of dollars are out there that are probably gonna go into default um, real soon, especially with coronavirus this year. And I would put more pressure, if you will, on colleges and universities through their financial aid department on what actually this means to be 30, 40, 50, $200,000 in debt at some interest rate, and what does that mean on how long it'll take to get out of debt? Because it seems to me that they are really glad to sign you up for the debt, but have they educated you on what that will actually mean toward, or will you have to delay starting a family? Will you have to delay buying your first house? Will you feel enslaved to a job, a J-O-B, because of what it will pay you instead of something that you actually are really passionate about. That's good. That's good. I was just recently listening this week um, to the guy who started Millennial Money. Millennial Money is, uh, it was founded by, um, I, I cannot remember his name at the moment, but he created this organization where it was about um, bringing financial literacy and teaching younger millennials uh, how to save money and how to build wealth. And what he talked about was he got into student debt after college. And shortly after college, he just started pounding away at his debt. And he, you know, was putting all of his money into trying to pay his student loans off. 
and he paid them off within 36 months. And obviously every person's situation is very different. Um, but I think uh, we can learn from his situation in that he was focused on that goal um, and he went out and achieved it. And by 26 years old, he was a millionaire because he was living at uh, 50% of what he was bringing in and he was saving all of the rest of it. And I, I think there needs to be more uh, outspoken people like him where they have success and uh, they can share it to the rest of the world. And just, I, I think that a lot of people when they build money or when they're becoming wealthy, they feel um, they want to be more quiet about it. And obviously you don't want people to, you know, run around in Ferraris, but I, I well, I mean, it doesn't really matter if you want to buy a Ferrari or not, but you, you get what I'm saying. And um, I, I think that being more open to how you build your wealth um, and being willing to share that information, I think is important as well, because you want there to be role models um, for everybody. And I think, uh, I think there are a lot of role models out there. I just think that a lot of them um, have been more quiet with the ways that they achieved their success. Yeah, there definitely seems to be, I've always used the term old money and new money. Old money is, is, those people, those families that do not need to impress you, they're the ones that drive the old vehicle that may be worth five, 10, $20 million. Whereas people with new money, a lot of times they want to show off what they've achieved. You see this a lot of times with athletes that come into money when they never had money. You see it with people that win the lottery. And many times, both of those groups, if you look historically have blown through their money very quickly and an analogy i've heard before is that many people have a financial thermostat an example might be a salesperson that makes a hundred thousand dollars a year and through november they've earned eighty thousand all all of a sudden in december there's a flurry of activity and they get back to about a hundred thousand dollars of income on the flip side sometimes salespeople may having an amazing year and through October they've already made 110,000 and they start to slack off for the rest of the year because they've reached their goal if you will in their mind and I think people are the same way with money as they as it, they get it you know however they, they earn it or it's a gift or an inheritance is if you have too much money then you're like oh well, I can be frivolous with my money I'll spend it and, and I think that's why a lot of people that win a lottery are worse off is because they've They've never considered what do I do with this kind of money? Am I, do I have the tools to be able to um, handle it? And very much like a child behind a wheel, right? There's a, there's, a, there's a learning process. But if people just come into money and they don't know what to do with it, a lot of times they're just going to spend it on things that really don't matter. Yeah, and that, and that gets back to the culture and how culture changes people is that when you look on TV, um, you see people that are driving the nice cars that have all the nice things. And that's what you strive to be. That's what you're like, okay, this is the final goal. Um, when instead, maybe that shouldn't be everybody's final goal. Um, and a lot of the people who are the millionaire next door, um, that famous book about um, a millionaire who lives right next to you and you don't even know that it's him because he just drives an old truck, he lives in a normal house, um, but he saves a lot of money. Maybe that should be a goal for a lot more Americans um, than being LeBron James or being Kevin Durant. 100%. Um, I think about the word contentment, being satisfied with what you have. When people start thinking about need and wants, 
many people in America get those confused. You may need transportation, but that doesn't have to be a new vehicle. It doesn't have to be a $50,000 vehicle. It could be a $3,000 vehicle. People need clothes, but they need to spend $1,000 on a designer suit. Now, am I saying that you shouldn't have those things? Absolutely not. But I'm absolutely saying you shouldn't go into debt to get those things. And unfortunately, we as society have bought into the myth from marketing that we need a lot of stuff. I think that is the biggest danger out there, if you will, is just not that marketing's bad, but they're really, really good at it. And they are doing an excellent job at selling us stuff that we do not need and we as a society keep buying. And that's important. And and I wonder what a world uh what what a world would look like if not everybody was going into debt. And I wonder what that would what implications that would put on the economy. It would be interesting to see. Uh I think a lot more people would have a better quality of life. Um, but you, you never know what would happen there. Yeah, I mean, think about uh, the one that comes to my mind is think about credit card companies. I mean, you're going to pay somewhere in the neighborhood of 20% compound interest on any balance you carry. Who wouldn't want 20% guaranteed interest in the market, in the stock market, you know, year over year compound interest? But that's exactly basically what credit cards are getting. And if people didn't have that debt, if they delayed when they purchased something and used cash and then turned around the money they saved on interest, just put that toward an investment. I promise you they're going to be a lot better off in 10, 15, 20 years. So Aaron, I know you've heard of acorns before. Do you think there is uh, some long-term solution of using acorns for people nationwide? Because you look at social security today and uh, things are not looking the brightest for that. I mean, every 10 years, people are predicting it's going to fail. hasn't failed yet, um, but nobody knows the future of Social Security. And do you think something like Acorns, um, which for all the listeners, um, if you don't know what Acorns is, it is an investment account where you go and buy something with your credit card or debit card and it rounds up to the nearest dollar. So if you pay $6.25 for a hot dog, um, it's going to take those 75 cents left over to round it up to $7 and it's going to put them uh, in an investment account. And um, that will be receiving, you know, varying interests depending on what you tell it to invest in. Um, now, Aaron, do you think that Acorns could be not only an educational tool, but a tool to help people financially in the long run? Absolutely. One of the things that I think about is friction when it comes to transactions. An example is Amazon. What has Amazon done that is revolutionary? And I would say the thing that they do that is revolutionary until others came along and copycatted was the click, one click, right? One click. You make it super easy to go from, I want this to it's at my house. Of course they added next day, delivery and Amazon Prime, et cetera. But that was the big thing, this one click, and they really pushed it. So the question is, how can we make it super simple for someone to invest or, or save? And I think your example of, of the company Acorn or Acorns is perfect for that because you're not having to think, it just does it. And then you're, you're saving money without having to write a check and put it somewhere or 
keep a piggy bank, etc. So it reduces the friction, if you will, of the transaction. So I think that's huge. Um, I'm sure you know this, but one of the big areas that's really grown a lot in, <clears throat> in economics is on the behavioral side, behavioral finances, as many people call it. And one of the things they found is giving people nudges. Um, there's a book called Nudge. It's really interesting. But one of the things specifically that pertains to investing that came out of that is instead of giving people a retirement plan through work 401k where they have to enroll, they have to take an active step. Um, many 401ks have made it where you have to choose not to participate. And not only that, but the amount that you contribute automatically goes up unless you choose otherwise. So again, we've reduced the friction of making a decision and we've given default options. I think these types of things are 100% um, need to be implemented across the board. And many, many businesses, the larger ones specifically have these things in place, but that absolutely would reduce the need for social security at its current level and, and could, could be a solution long-term a move away from, from social security or at least in its current form. That's very interesting. I know personally, when I go on Amazon, if I'm adding things to cart, I'll add them all to cart. And then I go to my cart and I look at every single item and I'm like, do I need this? Do I need that? And I usually take a few things out. So that definitely is uh, taking away that friction. Um, is a huge part of Amazon's business model. Well, Aaron, that concludes today's interview. Thank you so much for coming on today. And I really appreciate all the wisdom that you've shared with all of us. Well, thank you, Connor, for having me on and uh, good luck with your, your podcasts. And I hope uh, if anyone um, of your listeners that need any more um, thoughts or if I can help them with anything, just uh, feel free to have them reach out to me. Awesome. And is there a way that li my listeners should reach out to you if they uh, choose to? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. You can reach, reach us on Facebook, um, Aaron Maybon. True North Investments uh, Financial Advisor. You can go to our website, which is uh, www.tn or True North TN Investments with an S.com, and you can find our contact information. You can even schedule an appointment right there on our website. We would love to speak with you. Awesome. Thank you, Aaron, so much. If you liked this episode, please like and subscribe to hear the next great episode on Alan Stocks Podcast. Also, to contact us or learn more, please visit allenstocks.com.